Welcome to OCBC Insights. My name is Wale Maranto, economist with OCBC Global Treasury Research Team. Today, I'd like to talk about the prospects for Malaysian economy. Before we zoom into Malaysia proper, uh, let us take a step back and understand the global backdrop that we are in a bit better. Particularly because Malaysia remains a fairly export-dependent economy, despite the fact that private domestic consumption has started to play a much bigger role than before. On the global front, if I can drop my economy's hat and pretend to be a weatherman for just a bit, I'd characterize the global economy now as this. We had obviously seen a really bad thunderstorm with heavy downpour and gusty winds uh, starting from late March into pretty much all of April, when virus cases picked up so much globally that many countries big and small across five continents were forced into lockdown. Whatever euphemistic terms we can come up with, a lockdown is a lockdown where businesses were shut, people were told to stay at home to avoid catching and more importantly transmitting the coronavirus. Since then, however, to continue my weather analogy, the worst of the thunderstorm appears to be over. Starting from mid-May, I'll say into June, it is still raining, yes, but no longer a scary flooding type of rain and you can almost see it's just turning to a drizzle in some parts of the globe. As virus cases drop, economies open up again. There is a sense that activities are also resuming. Now, if you follow official GDP data alone, we won't be able to know, since a lot of this GDP data released on a quarterly basis and a long lag. So Q2, where the bulk of the pain is felt, will only come out later uh, in some countries much later in, say, August. Hence, we try to find alternative data sources. There is a number of high-frequency indicators that we track somewhat religiously. In terms of major economies, for instance, we see that restaurant bookings are starting to go up again. This is especially so in places like Germany, Australia, where restaurant bookings are just 10 to 20% shy of where things were one year ago, indicating that the worst part of the scare might just be over. Uh, the impetus to go out obviously is there for sure. No matter how sweet home is, uh, after weeks and months of staring at the four walls, there's an urge to smell some fresh air and eat some non-takeaway, non-home-cooked food. More important than that, people are confident enough in the virus outbreak containment to venture out again. We see a similar story closer to home in ASEAN as we track another high-frequency indicator, which is the Apple Mobility Index. Now, every time we tell Apple Siri to set a GPS driving direction, uh, Apple collects the data. That shouldn't come as a surprise to anyone. Uh, and uh, now Apple has done what, 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 what it can to say make the data anonymous, but they also aggregate them into an index. Going by our calculations, for most ASEAN economies, the mobility of people, as proxied by such GPS requests, uh, has returned quite forcefully, especially since mid-June. For Malaysia, in particular, people have, moving, have been moving more and more since the MCO orders were lifted. Uh, first changed the conditional MCO in early May, and they later loosened even further into the recovery MCO that we have now. Compared to the mobility level of early March, before this all, mass, all this mess began, Malaysians are now just about 10% less mobile than the level we saw in early March. To be sure, it is still negative, but compared to the period of end March, uh, during the worst of the lockdown, where Malaysia's mobility was as much as 75% short, uh, is, is nonetheless quite a significant improvement and bodes well for the momentum going forward. To be very clear, it is not that we are saying that the months ahead would be pretty. No, it was going to see fairly weak numbers still, and the recovery that we have in mind in second half of this year remains very gradual and also full of downside risks on the global front, including your 
potential virus resurgence and also other uh, potential research that rising US-China tensions that might boil over. All these are one big reason why we are not exactly projecting a sharp V-shaped recovery. For the year as a whole, we see Malaysia's growth still negative, negative 1%. And Q2 GDP won't, that wouldn't come out until mid-August, uh, probably see uh, we probably see a sharp contraction as, as much as 6%. Still, as long as the momentum going forward from now, from where we are now, is net positive, I think given the context of things, it should already be, be something to be quite happy about. Apart from the recovery in high-frequency indicators that I mentioned earlier, other data such as PMI, purchasing managers index, also indicate uh, such notion that you know growth has been extremely challenging. Yes, but at least the recovery is starting to show up. Uh, we see improvement in numbers uh, in May compared to April, for instance. On the broader macroeconomic front, the recent recovery, I'll say, uh, quiet recovery in global oil prices should also be helpful for Malaysia, since one is a, it is one of few net oil exporter from the region and also where petroleum revenues contribute a chunky 20 to 25% of government revenue. I, didn't, I don't think oil price will recover so quickly, so much, that it will be basically a new bonus a revenue stream from Malaysian government, such that it can double, triple its fiscal stimulus. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, we're talking about the stabilization of oil price that will at least take away one big concern, uh, that you know uh, they might have to cut back on spending and do so sharply. So already after launching a number of stimulus packages, uh, fiscal deficit for Malaysia has crept up to potentially as high as 6% of GDP this year. This will be the highest in about a decade. And it's also pushing up the debt-to-GDP ratio higher and higher, uh, potentially going to be above 55% of GDP that is uh, stipulated by legislation. Hence, to fund the deficit as it is, the Malaysian government might have to ask the parliament for approval to suspend or change the 55% of GDP debt-to-GDP uh, rule. Uh, that is not going to be easy task given the unsettled political situation. And that brings home another key point when we talk about Malaysia's economic prospects. As most of you would know by now, the political landscape is extremely fractured. Now, start with the opposition camp under Pakatan Harapan. Well, I would say that the uh, opposition coalition is in opposition with each other. Now, the PKR supporting its leader Anwar Ibrahim as the next PM candidate, while the rest, including DAP, Amanah, and whatever is left of the Splinter Bersatu Party, supporting uh, Mahathir. Within the ruling coalition as well, even though PM Muhyiddin is, uh, is ahead, his position depends very much on the continuing support of AMNO and of FAS, uh, which control a lot more seats than he does, and he'll be quite happily signaling that uh, you know, with, uh, with, with talks about snap election and all that. Now, what this political drama does is obviously to add to already multiple layers of uncertainties that are facing the Malaysian economy. At the very least, it would limit how quickly Malaysian economy can regain all of its vigor uh, in the second half of the year, unfortunately. So, long story short, if I can end with another weather analogy for Malaysian economy, it looks like thunderstorm is over on one side, and now it is thankfully getting a bit more sunny. But still, if you look closely enough, it is hard to say it is all clear because some grey clouds are always hanging on the horizon, not too far away. Thank you for your time. This has been a podcast from OCBC Bank. Follow us on Spotify for more episodes like the one you've just heard.